Welcome to Behave Intelligently, an uncensored exploration of behavior in the workplace, life, and the larger world. Behave Intelligently is co-hosted by fellow behavioral enthusiasts, Jay Johnson and Mark Garrison, and produced by the amazingly talented team at Coeus Creative Group. Thank you for joining this week's edition, where we're going to talk about confirmation bias. This sounds interesting to me, Jay. I'll be honest, I don't know a ton of details on confirmation bias, but I know it's a term we hear quite often. I understand some of the concepts, but can you explain to me a little bit about what does confirmation bias mean? Yeah, so this is something that we're seeing a lot in the media. And if you, uh, if you happen to have a subscription to psychology today, you've probably seen a couple of articles on it. But confirmation bias is one of those cognitive biases that we all have, literally everybody has. Um, so no one is immune to confirmation bias. And essentially it, is, it has to do with the way that we recall information the way that we search for new information, the way that we interpret information that's provided to us. So say for example, you are a really big believer that blue is the best color in the entire world. It is. <laughs> sure, sure, coeus blue specifically, but exactly. you may end up, uh, so if you're challenged or if somebody is challenging that, you're probably going to interpret new information in a way that supports the claim that you already believe. So you're gonna find new information that supports blue is best. You are going to reinterpret information that comes at you as blue is best. Uh, outside things that happen, you're going to reframe those that only proves your argument. So it is literally a bias of confirming your already existing beliefs. Now, is this where you know, I've heard the term come up quite often, echo chambers. Does this sort of apply to that where I might go and, and uh, reconfirm my beliefs or my decisions from people who uh, think the same way as I do? Uh, they're either saying it or it source, similar sources. Yeah, to an extent, it has a big part of that. Like, for example, in 2016, and, and to not get political, but to talk about a political situation, uh, that was one of the big criticisms of Hillary's campaign, as well as the Democrats, is that they thought that they were winning and that they were doing so much, but there was an entire echo chamber where everyone that was within that chamber felt that support. Anybody that was external did not necessarily, you know, there's other conversations that are going on. So being stuck in that echo chamber really kind of sabotaged their ability to see the entire playing field. And we tend to uh, associate with or communicate with or interact with people that have at least moderately shared similar beliefs as we do. So that can be an effect of limiting ourselves to a, a group or into a uh, social structure that only allows us the information that kind of reaffirms what we already want to believe or what we know to believe. And that's something that I see quite a bit on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, oh, yeah. a lot of uh, reaffirming whatever my view is. And if not, you know, people just going and, and going crazy and responding uh, with attacks and some of them even drifting into the personal attack space about how wrong people are. Um, 
is that that's certainly a, a form of cognitive bias. How do we deal with those types of situations? How do we approach someone who can only see one way on an item? Is there a way to, to get them to, to see the other side, opposing side, uh, bigger picture? Uh, how do you tone down some of the, the, the reactions to those that are, we'll call it, real passionate on their stance? Oh, now you're getting me excited. We're getting into debate and argumentation here, brother. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I look at it and can you change somebody's mind? The answer to that is yes. Uh, you know, refer back to any of the persuasion episodes and podcasts that can have an impact. Um, but the reality is, is a lot of people don't realize that it's actually, if say you presented, um, say you presented a fact quote uh, that red was the best color. And I disagreed with you. Um, if I start attacking you, is that going to probably change your mind? Probably not. Yeah, probably not. So uh, there's a lot of different ways that we can approach this. Now, if I start laying out 600 different facts as to why red is the best color, a lot of people would think that that's a good strategy. Hit them with facts, cold, hard facts, and that is going to get them to change their position. And actually there is a ton of research, some of the most recent coming out of Stanford, I believe, that that's 100% false. That actually it's called the backfire effect, is that when we hit somebody with facts, when they're already believing something, it actually backfires. It actually makes them emboldened to hold on to it. So there's an emotional construct in all of our decision-making and all of our brain structures. And I think that confirmation bias has a lot of that emotionality behind it. So if I post something and you take offense to it or anything else, you're looking at that, whatever I posted as a personal attack because it's against your beliefs, even though I don't even, you know, and social media, I might not even, this is the one that blows my mind is when some people that don't even know the person who posted it then feel the need to go in there and attack or defend right. or whatever it is. You know, I, I think that there's, I think that there's challenges with that. Like uh, if, if you go immediately into defense mode or attack mode, you'll never actually understand the other side's argument. And I am, I am a true, uh, you know, a true champion of switch side debate and learning the other side of the argument uh, to try to better understand it. So yeah, I think confirmation bias contributes to some of these uncivil discourses that we see. So when when someone responds with all of these other sources and articles combating my stance, is that where we also see someone like, and I'm using me as an example, I, I don't do this in, 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 in real life. <laughs> sure. Uh, but if I respond with... Uh, you know, because I, I get upset with whatever their 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 sources are. Is that where that whole fake news hysteria really started too? Was because people were trying to use uh, echo chambered sources to try to combat my echo chambered viewpoint <laughs> to an extent. Yeah, I mean, what what you're doing there is you will research or you will find sources that support your argument. That's a huge part of confirmation bias. So if you're presenting me with alternative facts, we'll use the quotations that no one can see in the podcast world. But um, if you're using alternative facts, well, one of the things that I have to do is have a, 
how do I how do I weigh whether your facts are more accurate or my facts are more accurate? Both of them are coming from television. Both of them are coming from influencers. Both of them are coming from publications. So one of the ways, one argumentative uh, strategy is to discredit your sources. If I make your sources look less credible than my sources, well, then at that point in time, I have a much more cogent argument or I have a better argument in terms of the larger argumentation concept. So yeah, when you present 16 different articles that are from a science uh, institution, and I then say, oh gosh, those are some really good arguments. How am I going to fight against those arguments? Oh, look, that science institution received money and that must have biased every single thing that they've done. And I'll paint the, all of their articles. Now, it doesn't take into effect that probably different scientists did this, different research interests, some of the money, uh, you know, you, you've worked at a research one institution, you know that mm -hmm. research money uh, is very, very different than the way that people actually perceive it to be. So yes, uh, a lot of times we confirm our own position by discrediting somebody else's position that may be, you know, that may actually be oppositional to it. So what are some, some steps that people could take to sort of step back and reevaluate whether they are suffering from a confirmation bias? Sure, that's a great question. And uh, one of the things that I would say is at any point in time, so for example, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you a real world example. When the, uh, let's take us back to March, 2020, and the pandemic is getting into full swing. Well, depending on whether you were reading CNN, Fox News, Johns Hopkins University, and or any of the other outlets, the world was either ending, this was not such a big deal, this is gonna go away in a week, the, our entire future has completely changed and it literally was different at every source. So one of the things that I did to combat confirmation biases, number one, I focused on Johns Hopkins University, which I find to be a cred credible medical uh, thing, but then I would actually intentionally read articles from multiple different publications. So I'd read one from the New York Times, and then I would turn over to Fox News and read something similar exactly. And then I would switch over to MSNBC and read something, uh, an article from them on that same topic. And what I ended up finding was, is after I was reading multiple different interpretations of the story, I was able to better formulate what I felt my opinion would be, or what information I thought was relevant because each of them have their own perspective. So adding perspectives or diversifying your perspectives, hugely powerful way, I think, to combat some confirmation bias. You know, one of the things I noticed just sort of using your, your example of March last year with the pandemic and, and even the couple months after that, um, you know, I saw a lot on social media where people were, were, taking polar opposite stances. And someone might be like, you know, the news is saying everything is so terrible, but you know, I'm not seeing it. And then I saw people commenting like, oh no, it's terrible. It's outrageous. The hospitals are overflowing. I work in a hospital. I know this, but those two people were geographically 
hours and hours and hours apart in location. Mm-hmm. And I kind of go, are you sure that both scenarios are not happening? In Michigan, you could be in, you know, that's where we're based, right? In the city or in a larger city, you you could have that scenario. And you could have a, a, a vastly different scenario four hours north of us where there's less population and there, were, there weren't as many issues. And I'm not saying that it, it wasn't true or, or it was true, but we also have to take into account, I think, that, you know, nowadays we are so interconnected with global networks of people that people in different areas could be having vastly different experiences as, as you might be. Yeah. And I think that that actually is a great second strategy is uh, if you find yourself in a situation where you're arguing with somebody, here's a great question to ask yourself. Can both of us be right? If you ask yourself that question, can literally both of us be correct on this question? And if you ask yourself that, I think, you know, there's going to be some follow-up questions that will pop into your head. Okay, well, if you're saying the best color is red and I'm saying the best color is blue and we're locked in there, can both of us be right? Well, you know, I ideally know because one is one color and one is the other color. But if I take a step back and say, well, maybe that is right for Mark and maybe this is right for Jay, there's got to be some kind of understanding that your standpoint or your position in the world is going to give you a very different perspective. And that's kind of like, not to go super philosophical, but uh, capital T truth, which is like the overage of truth and little t truth, which is the um, sort of subjective truth. It's true for me. It may not necessarily be true of the entire world, but it's true for me. And I think that that's something to kind of keep in the back of our head is that there's actually very, 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 very few, if any, capital T truths out there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. And I, I think it's, it's really looking at the, the knowledge that someone has or that experience that they have. Um, and, and it could be true for them. It could be true for them at that point in time, too. Like they may have believed that that was absolutely true and that's how you behaved or that's how you did things and they need to be educated or learn or, um, you know, get to a point where they're open to seeing other perspectives and they might change. So their, their truth could shift based off of a change in knowledge or experience um, and, and shifting that cognitive bias too. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, as you were kind of talking, it made me think, it really did actually make me think of a couple interesting aspects of of confirmation bias. I believe a big part of the reason that we have confirmation bias is because we have ego and we are driven to an extent of not being wrong. Oh God, if I'm wrong, I lose face and oh my gosh, you know, I might lose credibility or whatever it is. When in reality, every human being has been wrong at least twice in their life. I know that because I've been wrong at least twice. So, you know, when we, when we look at something like confirmation bias, another good question to ask yourself is, why does this matter to me? Why do I have to be right? And I think if you maybe take that approach and say, okay, am I, 
Am I demanding to be right? And you know me pretty well. I like to argue just to argue. I'll win by attrition, even if I'm <laughs> completely wrong, because it's a game at some point and I have to stop myself because my fire comes out pretty easily and go, why does this matter to me? Is this the hill I want to die on? Because if it is, I will find every single which way to spin your argument, to make your argument not make sense or anything else in service to keeping my confirmation. If I take that step back and ask myself, why does this really matter? Does this matter in a big scheme of things? Is this the hill I want to die on? That gives me an opportunity to start thinking, okay, how does Mark look at this? How does he think about this? Why is this important to me? Why does it matter that Mark believes me or agrees with me? Why do I have to argue with Mark? If these are my beliefs, why do I have to make Mark believe my beliefs? What's the point? So I think that that's- So, so an extent, what you're saying is uh, a little bit of devil's advocate. Yeah. Sense. Yeah. You know, in some case testing, I, you know, I love, uh, I love testing my own ideas or there's, you know, this and, and it's fun. Sometimes I call you and say, Mark, here's my idea, tear it apart. And it's really just because like, I've gotten into the zone of thinking, this is the best idea since sliced bread. And now I've blocked myself from thinking all the things that are potentially wrong with it. Or now I'm really focused on making it so, but I might need a devil's advocate, or I might need somebody to say, step into this and tear it apart. So that way I can evaluate, am I really thinking about these things from a confirmation bias, or am I thinking about it holistically? So I think that's- And we do that, and I think you're right, we do that quite a bit in our company, whether it's uh, developing a website, uh, designing a, a brochure or a mailer or anything like that. It's always, you know, can we get a second set of eyes on this? Can we try this out? Can someone else do this? Because we essentially were so involved in it that we get blinders on. And I know there's been times where it's like, I missed like the gorilla in the room <laughs> because I was so focused on this other aspect. And and I never really thought of that, but that's in a sense, uh, confirmation bias, right? You get locked into your own perspective. Yeah. And once you're into that perspective, you tend to ignore new information that's coming to you, or you tend to reframe new information that essentially emboldens that original perspective. So yeah, you know, a devil's advocate, having a second set of eyes, or even just as we call it, hypotesting our ideas. Hey, what do you think of this? Tell me where I'm not, tell me what I'm not thinking about. Give me a, a direction to maybe go research something else. And, you know, between that, helping to diversify your source information or diversify your, uh, di you know, your, your civil discourse group, uh, making sure that there's multiple voices being heard and actually listening. Maybe we should actually say that one. Stop listening to answer the other person's argument and actually try to understand what they're saying. I, I really had to focus on that one for a long time. <laughs> but, um, you know, seek first, to, uh, seek first to understand, then be understood, I believe, is the way that Covey has communicated it and a whole host of leaders. But I think that's just a good practice in leadership in general is, is actually listening, not to respond, but to try to understand. And I think that that will help with some confirmation bias as well. Now, one of the things, um, you know, I know you and I, as we've talked over the years, 
we've we've referenced uh, to an extent a, a term we call revisionist history. Mm. Um, you know, that's where the person isn't always recalling the history or the the events or the actions or the conversation exactly as everybody else may recall it. And is that a form of a cognitive bias too, where uh, essentially it's a, a biased memory or an interpretation of, of the events or, or conversation? Yeah, there's actually a number of different biases that would play into that. It's interesting because um, General Motors is a great example of this. They were one of the first to launch out uh, aftermarket marketing. What does that mean? So somebody buys a car they've already purchased, right? Like marketing is in theory to get somebody to make a decision or to buy something. Well, then they started marketing to those people afterwards. And it was like, well, why are you doing that? Why are you, why are you spending money on marketing to the people afterwards? That is a great time for you essentially to re-solidify or reconfirm the decision that they made. Like, oh, you made a good decision. That's, you know, you, you went in the right direction. So it's really interesting to me. There's, there's a couple of different things at play here. First, I would call that um, when we look at something like confirming what we already did, think of any decision that you've made and look back two years. You're probably going to think that it's favorable. So if you broke up with a partner or something like that, Two years, and that time you were so hurt and so frustrated and it was terrible. But two years later, you probably start making some, oh, well, it was all for the best. It was actually the best decision I've ever made. Or maybe you purchased uh, something from, you know, made a large purchase. And at the moment, you might have felt guilty about it or unsure about it or anything else. And then later you look back and you're like, oh, gosh, it was such a good, you know, I, I'm so glad that I made that purchase because that just, you know, it was, it was such a great, per, you know, purchase. We tend to look in the past favorably upon the decisions that we make, or we say why we had to make that decision. You know, it was still a tough decision, but I had to make that decision. In reality, if we are honest with ourselves, we could have maybe made a different decision. We could have chose something else. So yeah, I do believe that that's a big part of co uh, confirmation bias, but I think that there's also a number of others. We should get into, uh, we should actually get into some different biases and things like that in a, in a different one. So what are some examples that people might see every day uh, in terms of confirmation bias, how do like how do they how can they identify those? Sure. So number one, asking uh, literally getting stepping back and asking yourself, uh, stepping back and asking yourself, where am I getting my information from? If I am going to the same source, if I'm going to the same watering hole every single time the water is probably gonna be the same. If that water is a poison well, guess what? I'm going to get more poison out of that well. So asking yourself, where am I getting information from? And then trying to diversify that. That's number one. I really, really, truly believe that that is something that will happen, uh, is something that will help. Number two, in terms of confirmation bias, 
one of the things that I love to do is a, we call them the decision autopsy or a, you know, after action report or whatever you want to call that. But it's actually like once you're out of the decision, once you're out of the situation or anything else, looking back as objectively as you can, oftentimes we do this in teams or anything else, like what did we miss? What were we not thinking about? How were we uh, maybe influenced by that moment of confirming where we're at? That's a really good way to, um, that's a really good way to sort of evaluate how you were making your previous decisions and did you make that decision based on a confirmation bias. And then third, I would flat out say just be open-minded. You know, instead of shutting down conversations or instead of going on the offensive and attacking or taking it personally, sometimes just take a step back and ask the question why. I think that that's obviously that's something we advocate in a number of different places, but asking the question why. I wonder why they believe that. I wonder what brought them to that. Or why do I believe this? Where did I come from on this? How did I get to this point where this is my feeling, my belief, my value, my structure, my emotion, my uh, attitude? Why why am I here? And asking that question, I think is gonna give you some of the source points for maybe a bias that you have and why you might be taking the behaviors of like confirming that bias over and over and over again. Humans are habitual. We'll do the same thing. We'll go to that same well. So I think if you take those three steps, you probably have a little bit better chance of jumping out of the confirmation bias. Are we going to be able to avoid it completely? Absolutely not. It is a human cognitive function, um, but I think you can at least help to minimize it with using those strats. Any thoughts from your side? You know, I, I think those are great, uh, great points. And, you know, it made me start thinking a lot of our examples have all been individual or personal type focused. As a business owner, where might I see a couple examples of cognitive bias that I should uh, maybe think about or address or be aware of? And the, the first thing that sort of popped into my head was maybe a, a hiring process. Um, hiring new employees. I might have a a cognitive bias in terms of maybe the type of candidate I want or the the job uh, criteria. Yeah. So if I have a safe, let's say, for example, I am hiring somebody and I'm like, uh, you know, only people, uh, all of the people that I've had in the past that have been successful have been from Wayne State University. And therefore, I will intentionally, whether whether it's uh, cogn- you know whether it's consciously or not, I'm going to place a higher value on anybody that has a degree from Wayne State University, and I might exclude other degrees, even if they're fabulous candidates or anything else. And I use that just as a very safe example of it. But yeah, if I'm already preconditioned to believe a certain thing, I will actively hire somebody that is, you know, consistent with that belief or consistent with that value rather than maybe saying, well, where did that value come from? Or where did that belief come from? Am I making a hasty generalization, i.e. I've had one person from Wayne State and I've had one person from uh, Madonna and one person from Eastern Michigan and Wayne State person, you know, maybe was our our best. So now I'm only going to look for Wayne State University people that's that's a hasty generalization. You're making a generalization of the whole based off of a very, very small 
individual and or small group concept of that. But, you know, if the next person comes in, you may treat that person just a little differently because, oh, well, they fit within that category that I already know. Or you may treat them differently because they don't fit within that category that you already know. Same thing with customers. What are my types of customers or who, who loves this? Remember when we did the, uh, the analysis of the Google Analytics for the jiu-jitsu company? They were so sure they knew exactly who their customer was. We do analytics for them for a week and they're like, oh my God, that's not our customer, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, but that was a confirmation bias. They would have spent more and more money after that one, you know, demographic of customer. And that wasn't, that was just 100% not supported by the data. So, you know, getting a second opinion sometimes can be helpful, <laughs> I guess I should say. But And for some businesses, you know, depending on what it is, trying to find and collect the data on the customers, whether it's, you know, some sort of analytics on your social media or your website or your, your newsletters um, to really understand who it is your, your, your audience is. Yeah. Cause it might not be who you're thinking it is. And we've had that conversation with a wide number of uh, clients and, and potential clients that came to us and said, you know, this is who my customer is. And after a couple of weeks, of, of collecting data and running the the, the data. No, it's not. <laughs> nope, surprise. So, and that that's a good point too from, from that standpoint. Um, other business stuff I'm thinking is um, maybe with budgeting, you know, and, and spending money. Sure. If you've been doing a practice uh, the same way for a very, very long time, you might only seek out research. Let's, let's take disruption, right? There's, there's one philosophy, don't rock the boat. And then there's another innovative entrepreneurship philosophy as disrupt everything. If you're in one of those camps, you are going to look for examples of where the other side failed. You're going to look for examples of, oh, you know, Joe down the street changed everything and they lost their business. Okay, well, sure. Is Joe an outlier? Did that only happen to Joe, but everybody else that did these big changes, they actually are now successful? That would be a great example of a confirmation bias. So how we spend our money. Well, all of the other people, you know, all the other people in my industry spend their money this way. Doesn't mean it's the right way. It just means that that's your belief. So now you're looking and, and confirming what you already kind of hold true or hold value to. I think I want to wrap up with a one tool that we use that can help identify maybe some of your ability to focus on a bias is our behavioral elements assessment. It determines how someone might behave. If you know how you're behaving, you might be able to identify factors of bias that you might be using. You know, Jay, you're a fire. So you might look at hiring only fires, people that might align with you, or you might ignore fires because you don't want that competition. Yeah. You know, that drive to acquire, the drive to bond, the drive to learn, the drive to defend, all of those things have an impact on essentially how we are going to manifest our behaviors externally, but then also uh, reconfirm them. If I am a drive to acquire, I might justify my competition aspect of it uh, and look for somebody who is equally as competitive or open to competition. And then we find ourselves sitting in a circle with a lot of the exact same people 
uh, maybe losing a little diversity there. And I think that that's definitely something uh, to, to leave this on and, and to encourage anybody. Diversify your, diversify your resources, diversify your conversations, and actually listen. And I think that that's a great place for us to end it on confirmation bias. So thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Behave Intelligently. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you might be listening. Let us know what you think about the episode. You can email us your thoughts or your confirmation biases to podcast at coeuscreativegroup.com. If you want to learn more about Coeus Creative Group, please visit our website or connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Tune in next time when we talk more about behaving intelligently.